Well, folks, what, six more shopping days till Christmas. Y'all ready? Y'all ready for Christmas? One week from today, we get to sit around and uh, celebrate. We'll be right here on Christmas. Hopefully, you can make it out on Christmas Day and worship with us. What a It's always a great time when Christmas falls on a Sunday. Uh, you get to worship the Lord on the day that we uh, celebrate His birth. You know, uh, every Christmas, you get gifts. Um, maybe some gifts are more useful than others. You know, I think just last year, I got this gift um, from my lovely wife. I want to just play it for you real quick. This is a Christmas goat. Okay, I'm not going to play the whole song. <laughs> Who doesn't need a screaming goat for Christmas to sing jingle bells and scream at you? You know, uh, all the gifts you get at Christmas aren't always the most useful, right? Maybe some are. You know, I was doing a little research on the interwebs uh, and found a list from Good Housekeeping that tell us the 31 gifts you should never, ever give. Okay, so here are some of the top answers. I'm not going to go through all 31, but exercise gear. Don't give exercise. What are you trying to imply? <laughs> Husbands, especially you, right? I don't care how on sale the thigh master is. Don't get that for anyone. Uh, pets are apparently not a good gift. I guess they are if you ask the person ahead of time. But, you know, you don't want to just give someone a pet, you know, as a gift. Never, never. Our son got a uh, turtle on his 16th birthday. So uh, we ended up, like, six years later giving it to someone else. That thing, turtles live to be older than we are. So don't give pets to people. Romance novels, I mean, who needs those? I don't know. Anything regifted, that's a little hurt, hurtful because I love to regift stuff. Someone might get this goat. I mean, you never know. A calendar for a year that's already happened? You're that person, aren't you, Russell? It's a desk calendar of 2022. Thanks, Russell. Just kidding. DVDs. Come on, folks. DVDs. Wrinkle cream. Again, what are you trying to imply here when you gift a wrinkle cream? Cleaning supplies, yeah, I don't, I'm not sure. I guess you don't just gift things that people buy day-to-day -day stuff, you know. Ugly sweaters, right? I mean, maybe. What do you wear it once a year, if that? And, of course, fruitcake makes the list. It's on every list every year. Just don't gift fruitcake, right? We may be past that time in our lives where we're gifting fruitcakes. As useless as all those gifts may be to many people at Christmas time. There's one gift that is the most useful gift that anyone would ever hope to receive. And that, of course, is the person of Jesus Christ. He is the gift that keeps on giving. Amen? If you received him, you can testify to that. Of course, for one to experience just how valuable Jesus Christ is, you have to first receive him by faith alone as your Savior. 
A lot of folks uh, maybe know who Jesus is, are familiar with him, but maybe they've never personally received Christ as their Savior. You have to start there, folks. Uh, when a person understands who Jesus is, what he's done for them personally, it's got to be very personal, what he's done for them on the cross, how he gave his life to provide uh, his shed blood to cleanse them of their sins. He died and was buried, proving that he was actually dead, actually gave his life. Rose again the third day, right? Proving that he was the Son of God and that he did conquer the grave. He did conquer sin. And then he also ascended into heaven, showing us that if you want to get to heaven one day too, you got to follow the guy that uh, did it first. And Jesus is the, uh, the first fruits, as the Bible calls it, of our resurrection. So, do you know Jesus this morning? Have you put your faith in Jesus as your Savior? That's the gift of eternal life. Jesus promises to give eternal life to those who believe in Him, but you have to believe. You have to receive Christ, as, as the Bible tells us, to those who received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. It always has to start there. I'm so thankful for this church and the uh, clarity of the gospel that Jesus is a gift to be received, not, a, not a, uh, something to be earned. Salvation is not something to be worked for. Uh, it's completely by grace. It's all a free gift, and we have to simply believe and receive Christ. I love this church for their stance on the gospel. Have you personally, though, received Christ as your Savior? Maybe there's some here today. You come week in and week out. Maybe you hear that message. Uh, maybe it goes over your head. Maybe you never stopped and contemplated the real meaning of Christmas. What is, why do we celebrate Jesus being born? Well, because God sent Jesus to, to die to save us from our sins. That's what the Bible tells us. We needed a Savior. And so God sent Jesus. I hope everyone here today has done that. But you know, um, Jesus is much more than a savior from sin and a giver of eternal life, though massive blessings that those are, right? But Jesus is the gift who provides us for so many other things in our life while we're still here on earth. Sometimes, though, it seems that Christians who have received Jesus Christ as their their giver of eternal life, they have a ticket to heaven, sometimes we tend to put them away after that. Kind of like this uh, singing Christmas goat. You know, I only see it once a year because I put it away when it's not Christmas time. But sometimes Christians have a tendency to do that, don't we? We receive Christ as our Savior, and maybe initially He's exciting and it's fun, and we're so thankful and grateful. But over time, over the years, we kind of put Him on a shelf. We don't really find him all that useful in our day-to-day lives. Maybe there's some that struggle to see how he's relevant in their day-to-day life. I imagine as you go about your day, you may ask yourself, how, how is Jesus uh, a real help or, or hope for me in my time of need right now? How is Jesus going to bring any real hope or healing to, to my family or, or to my marriage or to, to my coworkers or friends that I know that are struggling. Or maybe our nation. How is Jesus even relevant today in America? You know, if you polled Americans and asked them, 
hey, what are the greatest needs of our country today? And these questions are asked every year. There's always polls out there where that very question is asked. And I found an article, a Gallup poll in October of just this past year. What are the top problems facing our country today? And here's just a quick list. They say, you know, things like inflation. That's such a, a present problem. The high cost of living. I think we'd all agree with that. The economy, man. Poor government. Lack of leadership. Uh, immigration. You see the percentages up here. 20% say that inflation. 20% of people polled in America said that inflation, that's the number one answer, actually. Survey says, bing, top answer. Inflation, the cost of living. That's the greatest problem facing our country today. Uh, 18% say it's economy, 14% say it's poor government or leadership, 8% say immigration or even, then the percentages start getting really, really uh, far down the line here, unifying the country, yeah, 4% of people think that might be a problem, <laughs> climate change, don't get me started, uh, poverty, homelessness, woo, way down there, abortion, even less important. You know, I read those statistics, and it's nothing new to me. I imagine that probably doesn't sound like much, uh, nothing new for you either, the way that America responds with what our greatest needs are. But are those really the most important issues facing our country today? Are they the most pressing? Are they important? Sure. I imagine that you probably agree with most of this, maybe, um, if not all of it. But are these needs, are these important? Absolutely. What are they our greatest needs? I want you to think about that this morning. For you as a conservative Christian in America, in our heart of hearts, what do we see as the greatest needs facing our country today? Is it a better government, better economy, better health care, whatever? Let's, let's take a, a, a little step closer and ask uh, what are your greatest needs today? If you were to stop and, and think about what are my greatest needs in, in, this, in my life today, is it money, really? Is it health? Is it having a good job? Is it having obedient kids? Is it having a, a better marriage or maybe better relationships in your family or with others? What's so incredibly comforting to me as a believer is that God, the creator of the universe, our designer, who knows us, knows our greatest needs. He absolutely knows what is the most pressing need of our life today. And he's not only aware of our greatest need, he's already provided for us to help with our greatest need. From the least important thing in our life to the greatest need that we think we have, God's already provided for those needs. Did you realize that this morning? You know, the Apostle Paul said as much when he wrote to the Philippian Christians in Philippians 4.19, he says, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Did you catch that? Come on, Paul, really? Did you mean that God will provide all their needs? Like, really, all of their needs? I mean, seriously, when, when Paul penned these words, he was writing from prison, first of all, 
But Christians at this time, if they weren't presently being hunted down, arrested, and put to death, they, 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 it was common, persecution. So Paul, writing to Christians in the first century who were losing their homes, losing their families, being divided, losing their livelihoods, And Paul writes and says, hey, God will supply all your needs in Christ Jesus. Don't you think that's a little naive, Paul? Don't we think it's a a little naive to tell struggling Christians that all you really need in life is Jesus? Doesn't that answer seem so trite sometimes when somebody responds with, you know, Jesus is the answer? (laughs) I saw a bumper sticker years ago that said that. It was a sarcastic bumper sticker. If Jesus is the answer, what's the question? You know, it does maybe on the surface seem trite, but maybe we just don't understand how Jesus provides all of our needs. That's exactly the message of the Bible, that God will supply all of our needs in Christ. God knows us. He knows our hearts. He knows our greatest needs. And he supplied all that we need in this life by sending his one and only beloved son, Jesus Christ, to this earth. D.A. Carson wrote this. He said, if God had perceived that our greatest need was economic, he would have sent an economist. If he had perceived that our greatest need was entertainment, he would have sent a comedian or an artist. If God had perceived that our greatest need was political stability, he would have sent us a politician. Thank God for that. If he had perceived that our greatest need was health, he would have sent us a doctor. But he perceived that our greatest need involved our sin and alienation from him, our profound rebellion, our death, and he sent us a Savior. Amen? Aren't you thankful that God knows our needs? That's always been man's greatest need, is a Savior. Whenever you see a society struggling with issues like our society struggles with today, we have to know that Jesus is that nation's greatest need, no matter what the, the statistics tell you, no matter what the people believe is their greatest need, Jesus will always be the greatest need of any nation. That was the case of the nation of Israel in Isaiah chapter 9. If you're not there this morning, you can turn there, but we're going to just talk about one verse over the next couple weeks, actually, but uh, we're only going to get to two of the four points. I know that's surprising to you this morning. It's the first time maybe it's ever happened, but there's so much here. I just, yeah, I didn't want to keep you here for an hour and a half. So just a couple points from Isaiah 9 this morning. And in context, it's written to the nation of Israel 700 years before Jesus even came on the scene. This is a prophetic word from the prophet Isaiah. And Israel at the time was struggling to understand their place in the world. They were struggling uh, to govern themselves rightfully. They were struggling with the other nations around them. They were in conflict with all the time. So as a nation, they, they were just kind of lost. They were helpless and confused and powerless. They didn't have a lot of hope at that time. It was a dark time. But God, in, in His infinite love for His chosen people, in His infinite wisdom, sent them a messenger named Isaiah with a message that they needed to hear, a message that God had a plan and God was going to provide for them. He was going to bring help 
And here's what God said through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 9 and verse 6. A child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. I imagine that that was a welcome message for the nation when they heard this from Isaiah. Though the exact interpretation of what Isaiah was saying, I'm sure they were confused about. Maybe not easily understood. A child, a son, what are you talking about? You see, Isaiah was a prophet, and the message that God sent through Isaiah was a prophetic message about the future. And they didn't know how far along in the future it would be, but they believed it. He said, a child will be born and a son will be given. And he's talking about Jesus Christ. He's emphasizing the Son of God, His deity. And the child emphasizes that He's born of the Virgin Mary. He is emphasizing His humanity. And you can see how this is describing Jesus. Jesus would be the God-man born into the world. To save the world from their sins. That was truly the greatest need that man's ever had, even way back in 700 B.C. Alvin McLean said this, uh, again, similar to Garson's statement, but he said, what the world needs, as the prophet clearly uh, saw, is not primarily a better philosophy of government or a more perfect system of legislation, but a person who has the character, wisdom, and Power needed to rule God, rule for God among men. This is the central theme of prophecy from first to last. That's what Isaiah was, was pointing to a, a future time when Israel would be governed by Jesus. Because they struggled to be governed. They were rebellious people. They didn't really necessarily like to be governed. I know how much we do. We love being governed by our government. It's so good for us. But you see, God was saying, I'm going to send some help. And there will come a time. You know, in the context, folks, this is yet to be fulfilled. This uh, part of this uh, prophecy about the government resting on the shoulders of Jesus. But it's going to happen one day. We have to trust God in that too, right? Our government, I imagine a lot of times we're uh, upset with. It's dysfunctional, counterproductive, ungodly. But God says, there's going to come a day. The government's going to rest on Jesus' shoulders. You're not going to have to worry about it one day in the future. Israel wouldn't need to worry about it one day. It wasn't the greatest need at the time. But there are a few things in this passage I'd like us to see. Four descriptive names that, that Jesus has given that reveal His character and how He helps us in our time of need. And I'll just talk about two of them this morning in the brief time we have, but and we're going to see why Jesus really is the gift that keeps on giving. Number one, um, He provides for us free psychotherapy. Aren't you excited about that? Yay! It's not a, uh, electrotherapy. Free psychotherapy. I, listen, I, I get illiterate, uh, illiterate, alliteration crazy. I am illiterate too. But I get alliteration crazy, and so I had to find a word to start with P. So, psychotherapy. He's the wonderful counselor. When you think about, uh, in English, the, first of all, this word wonderful means 
He's extraordinarily good or great, Ex exciting, uh, a feeling of wonder or marvel or extremely good, Su surprising even, extremely impressive. He is the extremely impressive, the great, the greatest, wonderful counselor the world has ever seen. And Jesus certainly is wonderful. His name is wonderful. Adrian Rogers once said that Jesus is wonderful. Everything about him is wonderful. His birth is wonderful. His life is wonderful. His works are wonderful. His words are wonderful. His death is wonderful. His resurrection is wonderful. His ascension is wonderful. His intercession for us is wonderful. His coming again is wonderful. Amen? I also heard of a, a preacher who was on a train. He noticed a, a man looking out the window constantly as they were kept passing all the landscape. And it was beautiful landscape, but the man kept saying, man, it's wonderful, wonderful. He paused and he looked for a while and he wiped the tears from his eyes and he would say it again, wonderful, as he saw all the beauty. The preacher's curiosity was aroused. He went over and sat by the man. He said, I've never seen someone enjoy a train ride as much as you are. Can you tell me what's so wonderful about it? He said, you don't understand, sir. I just had surgery. I've been without sight for years and years and years. And now I'm seeing things that I had long since forgotten. I'd forgotten how blue the sky was. I'd forgotten how green the grass was, how beautiful the trees, how bright the flowers. He says, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. Have you forgotten how wonderful Jesus is? Does the name of Jesus still produce wonder in your heart? Are we still amazed at Jesus and all his wonder? But Isaiah said he, he is wonderful, but he's a wonderful counselor. And literally, I, I think it's translated, wonder of a counselor. This ruler's counsel would transcend mere human wisdom is what he's saying. Psychotherapy. <laughs> Sounds funny, doesn't it? Sometimes called talk therapy is a term for a variety of treatment techniques that aim to help a person identify and change troubling emotions, thoughts, and behavior. That's a good definition, right? The Greek word for psyche, which is in the Bible, is the word suke, and it means the soul, the seat of the feelings, the desires, affections, or aversions of our heart or soul. That's what we're talking about. Jesus is the wonderful counselor that can counsel the innermost part of who you are, your psyche, your soul. And he said, when the Messiah comes, he will be a wonderful counselor for our life, for our heart. He'll have the ability to help a person understand themselves. He can help them understand their life. He can help them understand the, the troubles that are, are around them. He can help them understand their world around them and, and how to navigate all those emotions and the feelings and the hardships and, and the problems of life. Jesus can do that. The thoughts and the behaviors that we struggle with as a result of living in a, in a sin-trapped body still, we still have a sin nature, so we struggle with 
with our own sin, our own struggles, but then we struggle living in a dark world that's sinful. And it does get dark. And it gets hard. Where are you going to go for help? Who do you go to to help you? For counsel. Where do most people go when they have troubling emotions, thoughts, or behaviors? Well, they go to a counselor. Some people. Because you're looking for help in dealing with a troubled soul, right? Or maybe to change your spouse. Just kidding. Uh, why do you go to counseling? Because there's something going on that you can't seem to find the solution to. So you're looking for help. And, you know, unfortunately, most people, when they go see a counselor, they go to a purely secular counselor. God is not really in the equation. The soul isn't really talked about. The deepest issues of life aren't addressed. That's why, you know, I, I'm sure that there are good things that can come from secular counseling. I think we can learn from all uh, areas of counseling in some way. I've received counseling from both uh, perspectives in my life, by the way. I've had secular counseling at times in my life. I've had biblical counseling, Christian counseling. They're all different, by the way. They all have their own little nuances. But what secular counseling fails to address is the heart. It addresses maybe the mind. It addresses maybe the behavior, the circumstances, the emotions. But it can't reach the heart. And that's why I'm a firm believer that only counseling that addresses the soul of a person can really bring any kind of lasting change or healing to a person. And I can only credit Jesus Christ as the one who has truly counseled me over the years through all the difficulties I've experienced, all the times of struggles in my life. And there have been many. And I have to give Jesus the credit because he knows my heart. He sees my heart. And he addresses me in my deepest part of me to bring real lasting change and, and healing, which he's done in my life. I'm so thankful for that. Um, he gives me that spiritual insight. Even still today, he gives me insight into other people or the world around me. He's helped me overcome bouts with depression over the years or anxiety or guilt or shame, fear. I would not be where I am today, I am certain, without my wonderful counselor, Jesus Christ. How about you? Do you take your troubles to Jesus, all of them, to the wonderful counselor? Or do you go to the uh, self-help section first to address your problem? Do you go to a counselor that just has you know, some letters behind his name and say, oh, he must know what's going on. I'm going to go there and I'm going to get some help without even really understanding if he's going to address the heart issues going on in my life. There's a huge difference, folks, and I, and I say that hopefully uh, with a lot of grace and, and not to offend. Shayla and I, we received some biblical counseling training just last year. We enrolled in a program uh, where we can get some online biblical counseling training. We wanted to help people. We've been helped so much, you know, my wife and I both over the years, and we've, we've had so much healing and restoration in our life, 
And it's like, we just, gotta, we just want to help other people the way that we've been helped, but we don't know how always, you know? Just trust Jesus. It was tell- <laughs> just believe in Jesus. Just read the Bible. And that's the answer. But there's more to it. But I remember as we were going through this training, there were testimonies of people that went through this counseling center, biblical counseling center, and received help from the Bible for the first time in their life. And I remember this one testimony from this one woman that said, I have been going to secular counseling for 10 years, which is kind of the MO of secular counseling. I think, you know, as long as you keep coming, you know, they're, you're, you're still, they're still making money. But uh, uh, not really interested in, in healing you or graduating you from counseling. Uh, but this woman said, I've been going for 10 years. And within three sessions of the biblical counseling center, I've had more help and change my life than the last 10 years. And she was absolutely serious. Why? Because you invite Jesus into the problem. You invite the, the wonderful counselor to, to look at your heart and to go where, where secular counseling can't go, to address the issues that secular counseling can't address, but Jesus can. Did you know that when you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior that you also received a wonderful counselor? But are you coming to Him with the innermost needs of your heart of your life, of your marriage, whatever problem it is, Jesus is the answer in a very real way. And secondly, this morning, not only does Jesus provide free psychotherapy, you probably hate that word, but that's okay, but he also provides free power. As Isaiah said, his name will also be Mighty God. So he not only provides free supernatural counsel to those that know him, but he provides free power to make the changes that the counselor exposes in our life. Isaiah says his name will be called Mighty God. The actual Hebrew name is El Gibor. It means the warrior God, the hero who will always prevail. Don't you love that name, El Gibor? The warrior, the hero God. I like that. And in using this name, Isaiah is clearly teaching that the child to be born, the son to be given, was God. He would possess all the power of God. And he would be the hero who would ultimately prevail. Israel needed a hero to save them. They were weak. They were powerless without God. Whenever they would go and try to fight a military battle or a military campaign without God, guess what happened? Utter defeat. It didn't matter the numbers. They could outnumber their opponent by, by, by thousands. They'd still lose because God wasn't with them. They needed the power and the presence of God. And Isaiah was saying that, hey guys, one day El Gabor will be born to save his people from their sins, to rescue them like a hero. And Jesus Christ, the God-man, certainly would have the power to save. And if that is man's greatest need, which it is, to truly be saved from the eternal consequences of our sin. We need to be saved from the, from the power of sin in our lives. What power will break sin in our lives? Only the power of a mighty God. 
There is no one else with that kind of power. And Jesus conquered sin. He conquered death on the cross once and for all. The spiritual forces of darkness threw all that they had at Jesus. They thought they had won. Satan thought he was victorious when they nailed Jesus to the cross. But little did they know that the grave would not hold him. And Jesus conquered sin and death once for all. Not even death would keep Jesus from prevailing in his mission to save the world. And so when we think about how it is that a person can have confidence that they're going to reach heaven one day, thinking about that, the only confidence that we would ever have to get our soul to heaven, to an eternal place, would be by the power of a mighty God. But Jesus is not only a mighty God who can save our souls from eternal death, give us eternal life in heaven. He can certainly do that. But he also has the power to save our lives today. We've been talking about this for months in First Peter. The mighty God can still rescue you from your situation. He can rescue you and your troubles, no matter how far-reaching they are, how deep they may seem. Because that same Jesus who died and rose again to provide forgiveness and eternal life for all who believe, he's still alive today and he serves as a mediator. He's an advocate for you. He calls you to come to his throne of grace to receive help in your time of need. The psalmist wrote this. He says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried in the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling, Selah. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help, an ever-present help, always there to help in our time of need. And God's power is freely available to all of us. That's what Peter says in 2 Peter, his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. There it is again, guys. Paul said it, that God will supply all your needs in Jesus. Peter's saying it here, God's divine power has given to us everything that we need in Christ. So how come we aren't experiencing it like we should? Or maybe you have. Maybe you have experienced His power in your life. But maybe there are still things that you struggle with in your heart and life. I know there's certainly things in my life that I still struggle with. Have we considered our mighty God as the source of power to rescue us from those struggles? Even lifelong struggles. God can give us victory. I read a story that, that kind of illustrates this. There was an orphan boy living with his grandmother when their house caught fire. The grandmother, trying to get upstairs to rescue the boy, perished in the flames. The boy's cries for help were finally answered by a man who climbed an iron drain pipe and came back down with the boy hanging tightly to his neck. 
Several weeks later, a public hearing was held to determine who would receive custody of the child. This is an old story. A farmer, a teacher, and the town's wealthiest citizen all gave the reasons they felt they should be chosen to give the boy a home. But as they talked, the boy's eyes remained focused on the floor. Then a stranger walked to the front and slowly took his hand from his pockets, revealing severe scars on his hands. As the crowd gasped, the boy cried out in recognition of him. This was the man who had saved his life. His hands had been burned when he climbed the hot pipe. With a leap, the boy threw his arms around the man's neck and held on for dear life. The other silently walked away, leaving the boy and his rescuer alone. Those marred hands had settled the issue. <laughs> There's the point of the illustration. The marred hands had settled the issue. <clears throat> Here's the point. There are a lot of voices in our world today that are offering help, wouldn't you say? Always people wanting to help. Always voices crying out, offering to help. But among them is the one whose nail-pierced hands reminds us that he has rescued us from sin and its deadly consequences. If Jesus can rescue us and help us and save us from hell, is he not capable of rescuing us in our life today? Is he not capable of healing us and restoring us through all the life struggles? Isaiah said in Isaiah 59, several chapters later, Listen, the Lord's arm is not too weak to save you, nor is his ear too deaf to hear you call. <clears throat> Israel's struggles were never the result of God's unwillingness to help them. And it was never uh, due to God's inability to hear them. They were a result of, of Israel's rebellious heart, their sin, or their failure to even just call on God and to trust Him to save them. Did you catch that? It's the same way today. God is, it, it's never His inability to help us that's the problem when we struggle. He's not deaf. He's always, he's an ever-present help in time of need. But maybe we aren't calling on him. Maybe we aren't truly coming to him and learning to trust him. Learning to wait on him, for him to make a way, for him to come into the innermost part of our being and, and heal and restore us and give us hope and give us perspective. Maybe we just aren't using the gift that God has given us in Jesus. How much do we really rely on the power of God in our lives? I think the answer is found in the quality of our prayer life. That's something I just, it just hit me. I, I, I like to think that um, to the degree that we are relying on the power of God, it will be reflected in the quality of our prayer life. That is a sad commentary for my own life, to be honest with you. 
I read this quote from the Slavic Gospel Association founder Peter Deniki. Where there is much power, there's much where there's much prayer, there's much power. Where there is little prayer, there is little power. Where there is no prayer, there's no power. You know, I think there's been more concentrated prayer for my wife and I over the past six months than maybe ever in our lives. People from all over have been praying and sending prayer and telling us they're praying, and it was, it's overwhelming, it's humbling. Which is great because we've needed it more in the past six months than maybe ever in our lives. I can say without hesitation that God answers prayer and has answered prayer throughout our journey. I can honestly say that without hesitation. Because through prayer over these last six months, for us at least, Jesus has been our wonderful counselor. When our hearts and minds were filled with fear, or anxiety, sadness, maybe hopelessness at times, guess who counseled our hearts? Our Savior. And it was through prayer. Through prayer, Jesus has been our mighty God. He's given us the power that we needed to overcome in the dark times. We believe it was through prayer that my wife was healed. Because it sure wasn't because of uh, our faithfulness. <laughs> we struggled. Actually, when we think about it, prayer has played an undeniable role in our entire lives. And not to over-dramatize my wife and I and what we've experienced in our lives, but I, leave, I really believe that many people who've experienced some of the hardships and difficulties that we've experienced over the years, uh, even from childhood, some of the traumas we've experienced, some people that have experienced similar things live their entire lives without ever finding real hope and healing. And maybe you know some of those folks still struggling today because of things that had happened to them in their life. And they, they get stuck. You have this, this perpetual victim mentality. I'm just a, I'm a victim of my circumstances. My, my family history, my past, my genetic makeup, my, my sinful tendencies, insert excuse there, but we're perpetual victims. We never can really have victory. I'll never really be healed. I'll never really move on from this. And I've heard many reasons over the years why people say they can't overcome. But I think about my life, my wife's, and where God has brought me, and where God has brought my wife, and I, and I have to stop and, and, and think, am I the exception, or are we the exception because, I mean, we've got some stuff. We've got some serious baggage and serious wounds and scars and history. There's some deep stuff that we've been in, and God has pulled us out. And He's restored us and healed us and given us hope and a future, transformed our lives. And we, we hear people all talk about all their problems and struggles, and, and maybe they're similar, maybe they're not. But we think, are we the exception? Is God still not 
transform people? Is God still not saving? And we have to conclude, yeah, he absolutely is still saving people. He's absolutely still transforming lives. I mean, we wouldn't be doing what we're doing if we didn't believe that. It's probably the number one reason that I'm in full-time ministry today. It's because God transformed my life. And I just want to spend my life pointing people to the one who's transformed my life. You can't have hope. You can have healing. You can have salvation. You can have forgiveness. You can have a new life. Yes, you can. I know it. Because the Word says it. Because God's changed my life. I still believe it. That's why I'm still preaching it. That's why I still go out and reach out to people. And I try to talk. Psychotherapy. Talk therapy. You know, Sharing Jesus. Saying, hey... Here's who's changed my life. I know he can do it. And so I think all of us, and as you, listen, as you talk to people who have struggles and problems and issues, and especially the holiday season is a, a hot time for this, you can look at them in the eye with all sincerity and faith and say, God can supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ. They may not know what you mean by that. I wouldn't maybe say it just like that, but, right? Can you, do you believe that? God can supply every single need you have. All of them. Because he is the mighty God. Still. He is the gift that keeps on giving I have another gift that I brought here this morning. This is a Bible that was gifted to me by John and Sharon Armstrong, December 25th, 1988. Uh, I was 16 years old, and man, was I a mess. 16. No wonder my parents got me a Bible. <laughs> my 16th Christmas. Here, Gary, you're getting Bible and, uh, yeah, something that's not leather. No, I'm kidding. Uh, you know, uh, at the time, I didn't really care for a Bible. This is what parents do when they're, <laughs> they're at their wits' end with their kids. You get rebellious teenagers, you're like, I don't even know how to reach my kid anymore, you know? They're out here just running and gunning and doing their thing and, Running from God, I was a rebellious child of God. Gave me a Bible. Thanks, Mom and Dad. Appreciate it. At the time, I had no idea how important um, the Word of God would be in my life, right? But here I am today. How many years have it been? 24? 30? 34. Man. 34 years later. Guess what gift I'm still using? It's a gift that keeps on giving, right? And God has been supplying all my needs according to his riches in Christ every day of my life. Don't always call on him. Maybe I've got a hard heart at times. Maybe I'm running from the Lord at times. Maybe I don't want his counsel. Every time that I wise up and I understand the gift of Jesus, that he's my ever-present help, and I come to him, healing, forgiveness, cleansing, 
new perspective. Have you experienced that with Jesus in your life? Has he counseled you with the problems that you're dealing with today? Have you experienced this power at work in your life in real ways that you can overcome? Whatever it is, depression, fear, anxiety, marital struggles, personal struggles, financial struggles, all your needs, he can provide it in Christ Jesus. He's the gift that keeps on giving. Father, thank you for, for Jesus. Reason for the season. My prayer today, God, is um, always for my own heart first and foremost. Jesus, I still invite you in to heal me and to restore me and to continue to empower me to live this life that you've called me to, to point others to you. Pray for our church, that we'd be a church that is pursuing you, Lord. We just haven't received the gift of salvation and then set you on a shelf. But we do believe that you still are the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, as we'll see next week, the everlasting Father, the Father of eternity, and the Prince of Peace. Help us as we look ahead to Christmas this Sunday, Lord, that our thoughts, our hearts would be centered on you, that we'd receive from you, Lord, all that you are willing to give us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.